Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ, Part 2, the sequel, titled, right here you see it, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today I'll be talking about some of the news that's come out in the last week, especially in the past 48 hours, uh, including a movie poster, which I don't think is a legit movie poster. There it is, a Mel Gibson film. And we're going to talk about what is this film going to be about? Is it going to pick up at the Resurrection Sunday and then tell the story into the Book of Acts? Or is it going to be something more mystical, something more metaphysical? We'll look at that today. And there's also a, a tweet that indicates what it's going to be. Also, Jim Caviezel, who played our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has said that already the script is on its fifth draft. So they're working on it. It's going to happen. Super exciting. Now, I really appreciate Mel, Ga Mel Gibson as an artist and as an actor. In fact, if you're watching live right now, there's a poll. And the question I asked in today's poll is, do you believe, do you think that the passion of the Christ, directed, produced by Mel Gibson, is it the greatest piece of Catholic art in the last 50 years? I think it is. I think when you look at, from a theological perspective, um, you know, and it's not some of these kind of cheesy, evangelical, left-behind, preachy films, but from a theological point of view, from an aesthetic point of view, the beauty of it, um, from a historical point of view, you know, with the Aramaic and the Greek and the Latin and all of these things, uh, from, a, from the point of view of impact, cultural significance. Remember how controversial this was when it came out? Do you remember all the people crying and weeping in the movie theaters? Maybe you were one of them. I saw the film as a Protestant. I was not yet a Catholic. And I remember the impact it made on me concerning the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, as a, as a Protestant, as an evangelical, you don't often think about Mary's role there at the Passion, there at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But if you read John's Gospel, she is there. Christ on the cross says, woman, behold your son. She is there adoring the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And my favorite scene, it's a lot of people's favorite scene, is when our Lord is carrying the cross. He falls down on the dirt. The cross comes down upon him, crushes him. Our Lady on the Via Dolorosa runs to him. She has the flashback of the young Christ child falling. She goes and comforts him. I'm here. I'm here. And he knows he can't stay there and be comforted by his mother. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. And he says, Behold, I make all things new. Which is not in any of the four canonical gospels. It's in the apocalypse. It's in the book of Revelation. But he might as well say it in that moment. Because he is on a mission to save sinful, wretched humanity from original sin, mortal sin, venial sin, disease, death, and ultimately the fires of hell.
It's fantastic. It's a great film, and I'm so glad to see that. What's it been now? Is it? Uh, seems like 20 years ago, 18 years ago. I can't remember the date. It's finally in the works, and I showed this this poster. This poster has been going around on Twitter and Instagram. I actually posted it. It says at the very top, a Mel Gibson film, and then it says Passion of the Christ, Resurrection. It's just black. And at the bottom, it says February 2024. That means that this is probably a fake poster. A, it's super easy to make. I could have made this with Photoshop and some fonts. But, you know, in a post-COVID world, people can't get movie releases right. Hasn't been that way since early 2020. So to be able to write it, to shoot it, to get distribution, to get it in theaters, to stream it, how are they going to do it? I don't, I don't really know that anyone, even someone who's on point as Mel Gibson, knows it's going to be in 2024. But we do know it's happening. I just watched an interview with Raymond Arroyo and Jim Caviezel. He talks about when he was hit by lightning, when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount. He said this on the fifth script, fifth review. And he also says that the sequel... The Resurrection is going to be the magnum opus. It's going to be the greatest film of our time. Even more, how is that possible? Even more than The Passion of the Christ. Before going into the subject matter and the topics and what's going to be covered in the film, uh, some of it's speculation, some of it actually has been revealed and discussed. I want to talk about Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson is a Catholic. It's no secret that Mel Gibson is a sedeve contest. He doesn't believe that the Vatican II popes are real popes. Sede, seat, vacante, ablative, vacant. The seat, literally, the seat being vacant is his position. And, uh, you know, honestly, I can... You've heard me talk all the time about Vatican II and all these things, and today I don't want to go into that. Instead, and I love, and maybe if Mel Gibson ever watches this video or sees it, I would love to interview Mr. Gibson and talk about theology, talk about Vatican II. That would be, that'd be a great uh, discussion, uh, interview. I would be blessed and honored to do it, and I think I'd be very fair and straightforward on it. But as an artist... And as an actor, I mean, let's just take a moment to look at what Mel Gibson has done. Braveheart. I mean, if you have a testosterone count, you like Braveheart. By the way, I this is my second time doing this video. And uh, the audio the first time was all broken and messed up. I had downloaded an audio driver yesterday and it was corrupted. Um... So I just want to ask everybody, can you hear me okay? I think everything is, it looks like everything is is working and good. But Braveheart, fantastic. Um, Apocalypto, people don't talk about that film. Uh, that's where you have these godless, demonic, savage Native Americans committing human sacrifice on their pyramids. It's the Mayans, isn't it? I think it's the Mayan culture. I've been to those pyramids creep me out. I thought, man, all these people have died here. And then also they said, you know, we used to say there was no human sacrifice, but now the anthropologists and everybody's done the research and we've dug up things. Yeah, there were definitely people being sacrificed, murdered on these pyramids in the Mexico area, down in Belize, 
Guatemala, all those areas. And at the end of the film, the Spanish conquistadors come over with the cross. It's a, it's a very interesting film. Well done. Hacksaw Ridge. That was legit. I mean, even co- funny stuff. He's pretty funny. Like, Daddy's Home too. Not going to lie. He's like the alpha grandpa. What's his name? El Padre. He's a funny dude. And then the best of Mel Gibson as an actor is the Hamlet. I don't think, in my opinion, there's anyone who's done Hamlet better than Mel Gibson. And that's kind of like the end-all, be-all of acting, isn't it? Yeah, Kenneth Branagh, mm, he's too prim and proper. Mel Gibson takes Hamlet and gives him that lethal weapon, crazy-eyed, just like you would think Hamlet would be. A young, kind of deranged young man dealing with the death of his father, the invasion of his mother's wedding bed, and all these kind of things. Mel Gibson and Hamlet is incredible. I think his mom is Glenn. Is it Glenn Close? I might have that wrong. Let me know in the live chat. But if you if you haven't seen Mel Gibson play Hamlet, man, you gotta you gotta make some time. Unfortunately, it's hard to find on streaming platforms. Yeah, people are saying Apocalypto was nasty. Yes, it was. Yeah, people are agreeing. Great actor. His Hamlet is great. Honestly, I have seen. I've gone to a lot of Shakespeare live. I've gone. I've seen Shakespeare live in London. I've seen Shakespeare live here in the U.S. I like Shakespeare. I like the performance of it on the stage. Um, in college, I took Shakespeare on film, and high school, I'm a, I like Shakespeare. I just got to say, Mel Gibson on the Hamlet, we just got to give him a standing ovation on that. So Mel Gibson understands acting. He understands the form. I'm going to go ahead and say something that's a little controversial. Maybe you guys can throw tomatoes at me, but I think most of you might agree with me. Mel Gibson on the screen is the closest thing we have to a Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci. He's a master in that art. Not every film that he's ever made is A+, obviously. But the kind of things he's served up, another great film, Signs. Do you remember Signs? I think he's an Episcopal priest. The baseball bat, Swing Away. The Aliens. Classic. Great film. Great film. Okay, so what is this film going to be about? Two options. As you know, Passion, it ends with Christ in the tomb. He stands up and you see the nail hole in his hand. And then he walks out of the tomb and you hear the intense music. That's the end of the film. By the way, when I write books, I've written 10 books. I listen to the Passion of Christ soundtrack. That's one of the things I listen to. It gets me pumped up. So the film could begin right where that ended. Christ walks out of the tomb and starts talking to the women at the tomb, the three Marys, Mary Magdalene. Later that evening, he meets the apostles minus St. Thomas the Apostle. It says, peace be with you. A week later, on that uh, Sunday after, he's with the apostles again. Thomas is there. Thomas puts his hand in, the, in his hand and in his side wound. My Lord and my God. And it could kind of go on with the various appearances of Christ at Galilee with the 500, culminating in his ascension into heaven 40 days after his resurrection, and then 50 days after his resurrection, the Feast of Pentecost, Christ sends down the Holy Ghost 
upon the apostles, Mary, and the early church, and Peter baptizes all these people. That would be good. The problem with that script and that plot is it would be kind of slow. It's a 50-day narrative with Christ kind of coming in and out, teaching. There's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of page turning. You know, I've written three novels, Sword and Serpent, that trilogy. And one of the important things about writing a good novel or a good movie is there has to constantly be movement. If the chapter ends and there's not a little bit of a cliffhanger, a little bit of uncertainty, there's not some questions, you wrote a bad chapter and you got to redo it. If you're writing a good novel and it's 10:45 p.m. and you're like, I'll just read what I'll just read to the end of this chapter, and you get to that chapter and it's like, oh, it's 10:52. Man, I really want to know what happens next. And you're like, I'll read one more chapter. I'll read one more chapter. I'll, if you're in that cycle, the author is a good author. My concern, from a point of view of art and narrative and storyline, that kind of a plot would be difficult to pull off. So. What are they going to do? Well, Jim Caviezel has revealed it. He said it's going to be the action of Christ. The mystical, metaphysical action of the soul of Christ. When he dies on the cross, his soul descends into what we say in Hebrew is Sheol. In Latin, we say the limbus or limbo of the fathers. This is the abode of the dead. This confuses a lot of people because they think the word hell, H-E double hockey stick, is where demons, Satan, and all the damned are. And we as Catholic Christians, and Mel Gibson is a Catholic, we actually believe that hell has four abodes or four sections. I'm going to share. I don't want you to click on it or do anything yet. But I have one of my most popular videos on my podcast has over 700,000 views. Let me see if I can make it bigger here. It's the top one here. Four sections of hell, according to Thomas Aquinas, 712,000 views. People love this video. It's actually a sample video of the New St. Thomas Institute, which is where I teach online courses in philosophy, theology, and history. I'm going to link to that video at the end of this video. So don't leave this video yet. Let's start. Let's keep talking about Mel Gibson and the resurrection. But this video right there is going to teach you the way Catholics understand hell. The short version is there is the limbus patrum, also known as Abraham's bosom. It's the section of hell that's on the limb, on the outer edge where the Old Testament righteous, Adam and Eve, Moses, David, Esther, Judith, John the Baptist, they went to this, in a way, paradise that was located in Sheol, in hell, in the underworld. They waited there until Christ died on the cross, opened the gates of heaven, and then he escorted them into the beatific vision. That's Catholic teaching. It's called the harrowing of hell. That's why I have another video here that I'm going to invite you at the end of this video. It's the third one there. Christ in hell? Did Christ go to hell? What about limbo? Is it in the Bible? And then there's another video. Is hell in the center of the earth? What does the Bible say? These are all topics I'm covering. Because it's absolutely crucial that you understand this. Otherwise, 
this movie that Mel Gibson's going to make is going to be completely incomprehensible to you. You have to have the proper theology, and I think Mel Gibson as a Catholic likely has the proper theology or has advisors. And Mel, if you need an advisor, I'd like to raise my, raise my hand. I'd love to help. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is a topic that I'm passionate about and that I've spoken and taught a lot about at New St. Thomas Institute and here and written on, published on. Christ, when he dies, see, Christ is fully man, body, blood, heart, toenails, eyeballs, hair. He's a man physically, but he's also a man in that he has a soul, a human soul. He has the full divine nature and the full human nature. And the full human nature includes body, a soul, the mind, the intellect, a free will. And that free will, his will, is perfectly in sync with the divine will. That's why there's actually a heresy called the monothelite heresy, which, which teaches Christ has only one will. That's a heresy. If you believe that, you're going to go to hell. It's wrong. Don't believe that. Two wills is the orthodox and Catholic belief that we have to hold to. So Christ in his soul descends to the underworld, the realm of the dead, hell, Sheol, and he doesn't descend to the realm of the damned, which is called Gehenna or Gehenna. If you watch my video, you'll understand what that is. Christ actually uses the word Gehenna or Gehenna. And by that, he means the fiery torment of hell where the demons and the damned go forever. The book of the Apocalypse says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. In the Greek, it's into eons of eons. In the Latin Vulgate, it's in secula seculorum in the apocalypse, describing the people cast into the lake of fire, which is Gehenna. So there's the abode where the Old Testament righteous go. There's the abode where the unbaptized babies go, called the limbo of the children. There's the hell of the damned. And then there is purgatory, which is located geographically, if you want to use that word, also in Sheol, in the underworld. If you go to purgatory... You will be in the netherworld, the underworld, being purified, and then you will go to heaven. Purgatory is not in heaven. And it's not even, we shouldn't even think of purgatory as a middle place. That's actually condemned in the early church. Purgatory has the same fire, according to Thomas Aquinas, as the fires of hell. The same heating system that heats purgatory is the heating system that heats hell. The difference is purgatory is temporary and transitional. It purifies you. It purges you to prepare you to go in the beatific vision. Hell, there is no hope of exiting, no redemption. So if you want to understand all that in a systematic way, I'm going to link to that video at the end of this video so you better understand it. So what, as I understand it, also let me put up a tweet here from my friend, Jack Posobiec. He tweeted this out yesterday. Mel Gibson has said passion resurrection will depict everything that occurred during the three days in every realm of existence and possibly even have flashbacks to the fall of the angels. So we are going to see the harrowing of hell. That is Christ descending as a victor, announcing his victory over Satan and death and hell, rescuing the Old Testament faithful and righteous, bringing them to heaven, and perhaps a flashback in this whole scene of the fall of Satan, 
the fall of Lucifer becoming Satan and a third of the good angels becoming evil angels. When an angel becomes evil, he's called a demon or a devil. So a flashback of that. Also, on that point, and I'll link this over as well, I have this video, St. Augustine on the fall of Lucifer. And I go into, look at that young Taylor Marshall right there, baby-faced, no gray hair, maybe a little gray hair on the sides. Look at me, so young back then. Here I am talking about the fall of Lucifer. According to Catholic theology, according to St. Augustine. St. Augustine says, on day one, when God said, let there be light, was there a sun yet and a moon and stars when God said, let there be light? No, there wasn't. And a lot of atheists will laugh and chuckle and say, oh, you Christians are so ignorant and stupid. How could there be light? There weren't even stars or a galaxy or a sun. We're not stupid. St. Augustine says, when God said, let there be light, what he did is he created angels and illuminated their souls. Let there be light was the creation of the angels, according to Augustine. And then when God said he separated the darkness from the light, according to Augustine, which is what I believe as a Catholic, what happened is a third of those angels rebelled against God. They wanted to be God. They wanted to self-deify themselves as gods. They fell. They lost their light. Remember, the name Lucifer literally means light bearer, bearer of light. He loses his ability to bear light. He is filled with darkness and he becomes Satan, the devil, the serpent. And so God, according to Augustine, separated the darkness from the light the first day. Catholicism is rich and is deep. So I'll, I'll link that video too towards the end. Don't leave me yet. So what we're going to see is Christ descending into what we call as Catholics limbo, Sheol, Abraham's bosom. Our Lord Jesus Christ talks about in a parable how there's the rich man and Lazarus and they both die. The rich man is in fire. He's in torment. He's divided by a great chasm from Lazarus, who's a good man. Lazarus didn't go to heaven because heaven wasn't open yet. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So Lazarus also goes down into the netherworld. He's in hell, but he has water. He has comfort. He's in a different part of hell. This is how we know that hell has different abodes or compartments because Christ himself teaches it to us. It's very sophisticated theology. So Christ will descend into the abode of the dead, the righteous dead, the limbus patrum, the limbo of the fathers, Abraham's bosom. He proclaims the eternal gospel. They accept it. They receive the grace of regeneration. St. Thomas Aquinas says the grace that we receive in baptism of regeneration, that the Old Testament faithful, they receive that same grace when Christ descended into hell. This is why St. Paul says that when you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his death and resurrection. That's what St. Paul says. Well, the Old Testament saints like Adam and Eve and David and Solomon, maybe Solomon, Solomon was kind of a rough guy. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hoseas, Elisha, Elias, that when Christ descended in that moment, the grace of baptism, the death and the resurrection of Christ was shown upon them, given to them. They received the power of what we call baptism. That's Thomas Aquinas. Sophisticated, good theology. Then you've got 
heresy taught by Balthazar, Nouvelle Théologie, 1960s, 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s theology, that Christ ascended to the realm of the dead, to the damned, and he had solidarity with the damned. And therefore, dare we hope that all men would be saved. This is total rubbish. If you've, been, if you've ingested this bad, liberal, post-Vatican II theology, you need to not just stop eating it. You need to vomit it up and get it out of your system. It's wrong. Christ did not descend into hell and suffer. He did not join himself with the damned. This is heresy. We have to get rid of this in the church. It's horrible. And I think Mel Gibson, as a traditionally minded Catholic, is not going to go there. So we'll see Christ ascend in his, his beauty, his honor, his triumph. Lift up, the, lift up your heads, O gates, that the king of glory may enter. And then we will see the resurrection from the point of view of the spiritual, the metaphysical, the mystical. And then also, I, I mean, this is going to be some kind of crazy CGI miracle of the angels created and then the fall of the angels. I'm writing a new book right now, and I have a whole chapter on the fall of Satan in it from Catholic fathers, popes, commentators. Because what happened is, according to even mystics like Maria Agreda, the very beginning when God created all the angels, he showed them, he placed before them like a movie, an image, an icon of the Apocalypse, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Behold, a woman clothed in the sun, with the moon under her feet, crowned with twelve stars. Behold, she is pregnant with a man-child. She seeks to give birth, and the serpent, the dragon, opens his mouth wide before her womb to devour her child. But the child is caught up to God, a child with a rod of iron, a scepter of iron, the Messiah of Psalm 2. Maria Greta says that, that that story there in the apocalypse is God creates the angels and then he shows them basically an image, an icon, a statue, a movie, a vision of Mary and baby Jesus. Mary pregnant giving birth to Jesus and says, that baby is divine. That baby is the son of God, is my well-beloved son. You angels will minister to the Son of God as one who is ontologically, metaphysically lower in his incarnation than angelic nature. Will you serve God in the form of a servant? Will you so serve God with a human nature? Will you, angels, humble yourselves? And Lucifer shouted out, non servium. That's the Latin. I don't know what language they were using. Angels don't have to actually use language. It's all intuitive, non-discursive. But he says, I will not serve. No, I'm Lucifer. I'm the light bearer, God. 
You want me, this high super angel, archangel, seraphic nature? You want me to stoop down and there's like a, a baby in a manger with the Jewish mother? I'm supposed to serve the son of God and he's got diapers on and he has to nurse and drink milk. He's got eyes and ears and nose and mouth just like a pig or a horse or a dog. And Lucifer and a third of the angels who thought this way said, you know what? If God is so weak, so pathetic, so servile, I'll be my own God. I'll become a God. Let's all be our own gods. If this is how God's going to be, tiny, weak, a baby? And then one of the angels, this is what this video is all about right here. Then one of the angels, a lower angel, he cried out in Hebrew, me, ka, el, three words, me, ka, el. What does that mean? Me, Am I? What does that mean? Who? Ka is like El, God. Mikael means who is like God. If you're enjoying this, please like and subscribe. Share it. Who is like God? Lucifer says, I'll be my own God. Let's be our own gods around here. Let's self-deify ourselves. Raise ourselves up over Christ and this silly woman. Michael says, Mikael, who is like God? You can't be God, fools. And so God gave that one angel a special name, Mikael, Mikael, Michael, Michael the archangel. That's why he's the prince of the heavenly host, because he was humble. And he answered the rebellion of Satan by asking a rhetorical question, Mikael, who is like God? And that's his name forever, Michael, Mikael. Sanctus Michael in Latin. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, you know the rest. A beautiful prayer. So of everything I'm talking about, this rich theology of the fall of the angels, the redemption of the Old Testament faithful, the proclamation that Christ is king and has destroyed death. The proclamation that Satan loses. By the way, that's why when Satan was cast down to earth, who did he go after? Adam or Eve? He went after Eve because he had seen a vision of a woman giving birth to a messianic divine son of God, Jesus Christ. So he said, I'm just going to go ahead and ruin her right away. Let's get her into some deep, nasty, mortal sin. Let's corrupt and deconsecrate the woman. And really, he's been doing that ever since, hasn't he? Even to all of us. So this is going to be exciting. Uh, it sounds like, from what I've seen from Jim Caviezel, that it is going to include the three days of what happened when Christ descended to the dead, descended into hell, as Jack Posovic tweeted. The fall of the angels, 
and this rich Catholic theology. And I think, you know, evangelicals and Protestants are going to be drawn to this film because they generally enjoyed, liked, and promoted the Passion of the Christ. But they're going to sit down in a theater and they're going to realize that the theology that they're seeing is Catholic. I mean, yes, the crucifix, the role of the Virgin Mary, the apostles, the Eucharist, the Last Supper, all those things in the Passion are just extremely Catholic. But they don't have the theology. They've never had the theological bandwidth to see what's going to be presented in Passion 2, Resurrection. It's going to be going to be fantastic. Let me see if there's anything else that I want to share real quick. No, I think that'll do it. If you like this video, please like it, share it. We'll pray. We'll, we'll pray. We'll pray on our father here at the end. And then I'm going to link over these four videos. I really want you to watch them. They're here on the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast. All right, let's pray the our father together in Latin. By the way, one of the coolest things about the passion is Mel Gibson didn't cut corners and say, well, we'll like use some English or like a lot of old films. It'll start off, even like a Hunt for Red October of Sean Connery, it starts off in Russian and then it sort of slips into English just to make it easier for the moviegoer, not for Mel Gibson. That whole thing was Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and I loved every bit of it. It's fantastic. And I'm sure the next movie will be be the same thing. So let's learn how to pray in these old, revered languages. So we'll pray the Our Father, which our Lord Jesus Christ gave us in Latin. Oremus. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, venia reinum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secut in cello et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odiae, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos malo. Amen. Arle Fatima, pray for us. Nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I'm excited. Very excited. Another thing, before I close out, is this should be a call to traditional Catholics to produce art, to produce statues, icons, altars, altar rails, churches, cathedrals, films, vestments, to take up space in the public realm. You know, the groovy 1960s and 70s kumbaya crowd, they're not producing anything of beauty and of glory. Nothing like Mel Gibson here. It takes the traditional Catholic mind. It takes true theology, nuanced theology, carefully investigated, reasoned, studied, substantiated theology to produce beauty. This is why when you go and see the Ikea table and the horrible Jesuit music and the 
lame carpet and the bad songs and the whole thing that goes on. All of that is not coming from the core and the source of Catholicism. And so it doesn't, it doesn't fit. If we're going to truly overtake the world by unity, which we desperately need as Catholics, no division, all unity based on truth, unite the clans, please. Unite the clans. There's a lot of people out there, yeah, unite the clans, it's not good. No, unite around Jesus, unite around the truth, unite around the Catholic deposit of faith, unite around Rome, the papacy, the apostolic see. Unite in truth, not around heresy. Truth, goodness, morality, sanctity, holy families, good relationships, joyfulness, smiles, and then beauty. The beauty of holiness, which is, you know, the arts, beautiful liturgy. You know, life is short. You know, we don't need to be promoting ugly, round churches with shag carpet. I went to a beautiful traditional church once and they had shag carpet in the confessional. Somebody in the 60s did that. No. No. H to the no. We don't want that. Let's have beauty. I can hear, I can hear people say, yeah, but Taylor, I mean, God just cares about your heart. All of these exteriors don't matter. No, exteriors do matter. They do matter. You wear your Sunday best. I don't know what your Sunday best is in your closet, but you wear your Sunday best. You teach your children to wear your Sunday best. You shine your shoes. It's free to shine your shoes. Yeah, you got to buy shoe polish, but it's free. It's your own effort for God. We bedeck our priest in beautiful vestments, not made out of polyester with Velcro in them and all that. No. Linen, silk, beauty. This is for God. Gold chalice, precious silver, crucifixes, candlesticks. We do our best. Yeah, but Taylor, not all cultures can afford all that. Okay, do your best. I am sick of going into suburbs where I know the people are making 100, 200, 300, 400, 500,000 dollars a year. Orthodontists, doctors, COOs, CEOs, and you go into their churches and it's just sloppy. They wouldn't even have their, their waiting rooms at their dental practices be this sloppy. It says something about our efforts. It is a form of worship and sacrifice. Yeah, but Taylor, it's about your heart. Yes, it's about your heart. And from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart the you you work you do things you make things beautiful for god we owe it to him he has divine rights we are nothing we are so small we're ants and not only are we ants we're sinful wicked disobedient ants let's build something for god as an act of worship. Look how much he's done for us. He died on the cross. He became a humble little baby with diapers. 
He had nothing, not even in a house. And he didn't begrudge it when the three magi brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was meet and right so to do. It was good. So let's be that way. Let's be that way. All right. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. I appreciate you, everyone who does that. Thanks for sharing this video. You are my algorithm. Lots of people have been sharing. Lots of new people coming to this channel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't do that. I just roll the camera. YouTube doesn't do it. They don't like this. They don't like traditional Catholic theology podcasts. You do it when you hit share, when you tell people about the podcast. So thank you very much for everyone sharing, liking. And then if you're new, please do subscribe. You can do that in the bottom right corner and hit the bell and you'll be notified. Also, a sorry, an apology to everyone who came the first time I did this video and the audio wasn't working. Audio was broken. It's working great now. That's great. Shout out to Jim Caviezel. Shout out to Mel Gibson. I think maybe other people from the old cast we brought back. I'm assuming that's going to be the case. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fantastic. All right. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says, You're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. And check out these videos over here. We got the fall of Lucifer and St. Augustine in these videos as well. Click on them and enjoy. God bless.